But after a while I caught on. I mean, I saw what they were hiring. I also swiped my dance card once after an audition, and on a scale of 10, they gave me, for dance, 10, for looks, three. Well, dance, 10, looks, three, and I'm still on unemployment, dancing for my own enjoyment. That ain't it, kid, that ain't it, kid. Dance, 10, looks, three, it's like to die. Left the theater and called the doctor for my appointment to buy tits and Welcome to This Week on Broadway for Sunday, July 30th, 2023. My name is Matt Timonini, and joining me on the broadcast today is Michael Portantier and Jan Simpson. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com, and he is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Happy Sunday, Michael. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> Jan Simpson is a theater journalist who writes the blog Broadway and Me and hosts the Broadway radio podcast stagecraft and all the drama and has twice served as a Pulitzer Prize juror. Good morning, Jan. Morning. All right, everybody. I am obviously not uh, James Marino, who is uh, out of town. He is actually (laughs) down here in Orlando, just a few miles from where I live. Although at this point, I don't think I'm going to see him. He has a very short turnaround time with family before everybody starts school. So uh, he did invite me to dinner on Saturday night, but I was otherwise disposed. So uh, I don't know that I'm going to see him, but I hope James is uh, enjoying his time in the utterly sweltering heat and humidity of Central Florida at the end of July. But I am very glad to be with you both today. Jan, I did want to mention you have an episode of All the Drama coming up that's really exciting. It's going to be in the Patreon feed on uh, next Saturday, August 5th, and then in the regular feed the following Saturday, the 12th. Um, Why don't you give people a little bit of a tease as to what that episode is all about? Uh, This one is about the 1960 or 61, I should know this, um, winner Fiorello. And uh, I did it because, uh, as everyone who listens to this knows, it's uh, a Bach and Harnick show. It was actually their first big hit. Um, And we lost Sheldon Harnick uh, last month. And so uh, I wanted to uh, do this show, and I was very lucky that Rob Fisher, who was the founding uh, music director of Encores, agreed to talk with me about the show because, number one, Fiorella was the first show that the Encores series ever did. Mm. And two, uh, Sheldon Harnick was a very close personal friend of uh, of Rob's. And so we had a, a really nice conversation about both. And Michael, you've had a, a pretty exciting week here recently. You had a show at 54 Below recently. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about that and how, uh, how it all went? Yes, Jerry Orbach's Broadway on Monday, the 24th. And I'm happy to say it was a great success. Um, it was almost sold out and very well received. And um, we are going to be doing it again. 
not till January, uh, because only because 54 Below is booked so far in advance. Uh, so that's when they had their next uh, opening. So we will be doing it then. And uh, perhaps live streaming it we'll have to see as we get closer to the date uh but yeah it was a, it was really great for our, our three main stars william michaels nikita burstein and jay aubrey jones and plus we had guest star steven brinberg and leroy reams leroy reams who had worked with jerry of course in 42nd street on broadway and we had jerry's two sons tony and chris orbach uh come on at the end to reminisce and then sing try to remember with oh, along wow. with a video along with a video of his dad singing it so as you can imagine there was not a dry eye in the house <laughs> uh and it went yeah I'm, I'm glad to say it went really well wonderful well um let's get into the reviews for this week you both saw the two most recent shows that have opened on broadway here lies love and the cottage um i think uh, the cottage or, or here lies love opened first so why don't we start with that um michael give us your thoughts on on here lies love i really really loved it i had liked it when i saw the show at the public years ago in a much much smaller space um i i actually personally think it benefits uh from being performed in the broadway theater in the completely completely reconfigured broadway theater as i'm sure Many of our listeners know the entire orchestra section. Uh, the seats have basically been well, either eliminated or I'm not sure if the, if there's a platform over the top of the seats and they're still there. But anyway, uh, um, it's just like a it's just like a mosh pit. Or oh, is that the right word for it? Uh, the audience yes. is just standing. Um, the, the audience in the orchestra section, everyone is standing, and then there are these huge um, platforms that at some point move about and the audience has to move along with them in order to get out of the way. <laughs> and, uh, but just to, to watch the, the action from different angles. Um, uh, I, however, was not uh, standing. I, I chose to, I asked to, to be seated in the mezzanine section. And so I was in like the third row of the mezzanine center. And I would say that those are probably some of the absolute best seats as far as sight lines, because you can see absolutely everything. Uh, I would say the only the only seats that are probably not great, uh, and I, I wasn't actually sitting there, so I don't know for sure, but it seemed to me that if you're in the rear mezzanine, um, uh, that that you're going to be quite far away from the action. But everywhere else, uh, front mezzanine, uh, the side seats, uh, and all of the standing room seats, uh, I, I think that those, any of those three places are, are where you want to be for this show. I uh, It's the story of um, the Marcos family uh, focusing pretty much on Imelda uh, and uh, played by Ariel Jacobs brilliantly. Uh, the score to this show, uh, it, the, the, the credits are uh, conceived music and lyrics by David Byrne, music by fat boy slim so i guess they collaborated on the music and then additional music <laughs> uh by tom gandy and jose luis pardo uh conceived and directed by alex timbers choreography by annie b parson uh the score of this show is absolutely incredibly catchy 
Um, the title song is probably the biggest earworm of all, <laughs> but um, it's not the only one. They're, they're almost all like that. <laughs> it, it's it's really it's and it's not my. I should say it's not. This is not my preferred kind of music, but it's so. Uh, melodic and and catchy and rhythmic and and the hooks are are just they're, they're just really gonna stay with you uh i i can't stop thinking about that that hook for the the title song um so i mean that, that that's a that's a huge compliment um for a show in itself but also um even though it's pop it's it's Fashion very much as pop music, karaoke style pop music. Um, it it does tell the story because the the lyrics uh, are so well written, uh, and the show is, to all intents and purposes, sung through. I suppose there are a few spoken lines. Um, so I I really really loved it. it. It's interesting how much the broad outlines of the story are so similar to a vida uh you know a, a woman from humble beginnings hooks up with a, a a politician who initially is just up and coming but then together they wind up becoming <laughs> basically dictators of their respective countries and then and then everything goes south um in one way or another uh so the broad outlines are are, are as i say the same but of course the details are very different um I should say at the performance I attended, I saw an understudy in the role of Aquino. Uh, he was played by Aaron Alcaraz. Um, and, but he was terrific. So um, you won't be disappointed if you, if you get him. And that's the, um, that's the role that's normally played by Conrad Ricamora. Conrad Ricamora. Yes. Thanks for, yeah. Um, and then uh, also in it is fantastically is Jose Lana and in, a, and in a really, really wonderful cameo, Leah Salonga uh, as Ninoy Aquino, uh, the mother. So I, uh, the oh boy, when she came out, the audience just went nuts, uh, but they were going nuts for the whole thing. Uh, my, my one negative thing is, and I understand why this is, uh, the case there is a person who um, functions as a uh, sort of um, uh, someone who has to get the cr crowd riled up and involved. And in this show, it it, it is essential that the audience be involved. Uh, so I understand that. But at the beginning, uh, he was doing all this. Is everybody having a good time? And then. You know, there wasn't enough response, so he repeated it again, and I and I really, really can't stand that, as I've stated many times in the past. Um, also, uh, um, they do try to get the entire audience involved in the sense of even if you're sitting, they're going to at at a couple of points they're going to ask you to stand up and do choreography. <laughs> uh, so just so you know that, um, I I for one ra rather just watch the the performers perform. <laughs> You know, I mean, unless uh, it's a show that I know I'm going to be in, uh, but really a minor complaint. I, I thought it was fantastic, incredibly entertaining. I, um, I, I mean, unless you just really don't respond to this kind of music, I think you're going to love it as much as I did. I have to admit, Michael, I'm a little surprised at how much you enjoyed the music, because as you said, this is not typically the type of thing that you normally no. like. But um, 
hearing that full-throated recommendation uh, is certainly gets me excited. I'll be seeing it here in a couple weeks. So very oh, much good. looking forward to that. Uh, Jan, what were your thoughts on Here Lies Love on Broadway? I had a great time too. Um, uh, like Michael, I saw it downtown at the public. And when I saw it uh, down there, I stood uh, in a oh. small, it was a small space. There was a smaller uh, sitting area at the public and I stood and moved around with the stages and, and the crowd and had the really great moment of dancing. Cause you dance when you're moving around dancing next to David Byrne, who was rocking out to oh, his man. music. He oh, just my. happened to be standing there. I looked over and I went, that guy looks like David Byrne, but he wouldn't be rocking out to his own music. Would he? Well, he was. Um, so that was a great experience. Uh, this one, there was no David Byrne sitting next to me. This time I did sit, uh, as Michael did, um, <laughs> and was lucky enough to uh, be seated in that first mezzanine. And if you're seated in the first mezzanine, um, Alex Timbers, who I think this is the best direction I've seen him do. His direction is sometimes too antic for me, mm. but this show requires antic and creative uh, direction, and he brings it. And so players, including principal players, the, there's this moving stairway and that yes. comes up to the mezzanine and they come up and they're they're running across the front of the mezzanine and singing and interacting with the audience uh Annie B Parsons choreography is uh just terrific it's been noted before this is the first time there has been an all filipino cast on Broadway. And I think everyone there is just really proud of that and really bringing everything uh, they have to it. The three principles as uh, uh, the two that Michael saw and also Conrad Rickamora are all terrific in uh, their roles. Uh, Rickamora and, uh, and, and Lana don't appear to have aged much in the 10 years that the, since the show was, was, was up. Um, it's a great date show too. Uh, mm. If you're, if you're just sort of going, it's a, pretty speedy uh, 90 maybe 100 minutes uh so you're you're in there you're having a great time you're dancing you cannot not dance to uh or move to this music uh i was sitting down the row from one critic uh and i told him later cuz he said you know i was i was seated and i said well actually you really weren't <laughs> because you were dancing in your seat the whole time <laughs> So um, it's just it's just a, a a a great fun show. And the last thing I want to say is I want to give a special shout out to the stagehands, the stage crew, moving those pieces around um, the stage, the stairs. Everybody there. I've said it now three times. So here's the fourth time. Everybody is bringing it. Go see this show. It's just a great time. 
Thank you for acknowledging the stage handsome, but also I forgot to mention, I truly think that this show will probably win Tony Awards for lighting and sound. The yeah. sound was absolutely perfect. I got every word and considering how the show is staged and uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I was only sitting in one seat. It's possible that the sound is not as good from everywhere else in the house, but from where I sat, it was it was amazingly good, and the lighting is just um, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, because yeah, it's really it, terrific. Yeah, so uh, um, unless something else <laughs> really, really super comes along, I, I think that. Well, as... I saw another show. Can't talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> really super lighting. <laughs> uh, I think I can probably guess which one that is. <laughs> <laughs> really super, but um, the the one thing that. I have heard people say about this show is that if you don't know a lot about the Marcos regime, well, two things. If you don't know a lot about the Marcos regime, it may be a little hard to follow. They've tried to compensate by uh, for that by putting an insert in the pr uh, playbill outlining the history, the chronology, and by Peter Negrini's uh, video projections. I actually found the video projections distracting, but some people hmm. uh, uh, found it uh, uh, helpful. The other criticism that people have given is why are we celebrating? The musical does not celebrate, but because it's such a celebratory experience, people say, why are we celebrating these people who uh brought about so much misery to uh, their country people, their countrymen. Um, and this, the, the show sits a little differently right now because 10 years ago, the Marcoses were out of power. Um, and mm -hmm. now the son of Imelda and Ferdinand Marcos is the president of the Philippines. And so it sits a little bit differently, but I don't think most people who are there are responding to to the you know wider politics. I think they're just enjoying this really entertaining production. Yeah, it, it, it's worth noting that the the fact that the son of the of the Marcuses is currently in power is absolutely mentioned and made a a, a huge point of in this show uh so yeah they are not they are not celebrating the marcoses but i can understand why some people might confuse the good time that the show is with uh mm -hmm. with being celebratory of that couple who indeed um uh, you know, but but there are there are very powerful moments in the show as well, especially when Aquino is imprisoned for years mm -hmm. uh, and that whole story. Uh, mm -hmm. So it does not shy away from that. And, and, and again, similar to Evita in, in that way, I, I never thought that Evita glorified Eva Perón and Juan Perón. Uh, some people do, I, 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 but I think they're not paying attention to the whole show. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think it's very easy for shows like that to get caught up in 
to use the term of a much younger generation than mine, to get caught up in the vibe of a show where Avita's music is not, you know, there are certainly fun, upbeat, energetic moments. It has um, a little bit more heft to it than kind of the disco pop inspired score from David Byrne and Fatboy Slim here. So I can understand where if you're just kind of bopping along to those, (laughs) as you said, Michael, very, very catchy earworms that it might be easy to kind of be swept up by that feeling without kind of getting too overwhelmed by the story but um, i think it is important and i'm glad that many of the reviews whether positive mixed or negative did at least note that like it's difficult to separate the real world atrocities that these people brought on to their people and the fact that you can be in the broadway theater and still have a good time so i think that's important um and something for me to keep in mind as i go to see it and i'm glad that i you know, was refreshed about that. Obviously knowing a bit of the story going in, you have it in the back of your mind, but to be it, uh, to have it be put front of mind, I think is important. And unlike you two, I was not given the option of where I wanted to sit when I uh, got my press (laughs) tickets, I will be standing and moving around. So um, looking forward to all of that. But as you both said, this show was a very good time and a lot of fun. And the next show we're going to talk about, uh, I will leave it up to you to, to say whether it is or not, but mm-hmm. it is designed to be a fun and good time as it is a new farce and comedy that is playing on Broadway. It is The Cottage. It is playing at the Helen Hayes Theater through October 29th. Has a fantastic cast. It is a new play by Sandy Rustin, directed by Jason Alexander in his Broadway directing debut. Um, Jan, let's start with with you first. What did you think of, of The Cottage uh, running now at the Helen Hayes Theater? The Cottage... Ha- has seen seems to have split the critics uh half Mm. the critics really love it and had a great time and the other uh half are are very critical of the show saying it it's not substantive enough um i'm with the yay crowd i had uh a good time. It was just good, silly fun. And I think that's all they wanted to do. There is a slim underlying uh, message at the end about feminism, but uh, uh, I consider myself a longtime feminist, but I didn't need that. It was just fun. I wish the show uh, had been shorter uh, uh, because I think just the it goes on for two hours plus with the intermission it was maybe a little too long, but the stars in this show are just so committed to being funny and entertaining and in some cases silly. This is the, it opens as the story of, uh, opens on the scene of this couple who uh, have been having an affair for many years. And then the woman in the affair, her name is Sylvia, decides that, tells her lover that she's decided that they should be more committed. And she sent telegrams to, this is set in the 1920s. She (laughs) has sent, sent telegrams to his wife and her husband informing them of the affair. This is no spoiler. There would be no show. The husband and wife appear at the cottage (laughs) and, but there are surprises um, that, 
I'll leave it to Michael how much you know he wants to get into the <laughs> details of the 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 surprises. Some critics have really outlined the entire plot. Mm. Um, they have their own surprises, and then another couple arrives at the cottage who have connections to. Uh, the characters who are already there. And so we have six characters with connections who are trying to shield their connections from one another to explain their connections to one another. And it's just a romp. Um, However, and, and uh, I, I said, Laura Bell Bundy, I think I said plays the, main woman, Sylvia, her initial lover is played by Eric McCormick. I mean, I watched Will and Grace, but I didn't know Will uh, the, that Eric McCormick was so funny. I mean, he was <laughs> really, really funny. Um, Alex Moffat from Saturday Night Live is mm-hmm. making, I believe, his stage debut. He will do and does do anything for a laugh. He is really, really uh, funny in this. But I have to say um, that for me, the real star um, may be the set. The set Mm. is just very funny in itself. And there is no Tony for this. I don't think there's an award in all of the awards that go to uh, New York theater. I don't know that there's an awards for this, but somebody <laughs> needs to give an award to Matthew Few, who is the props supervisor for this show. This show has the funniest props I've seen <laughs> in ages. And I know that seems like, what is she talking about? That sounds ridiculous. But go see, and you should if you can, and you can take... You can take yes, it's a sex farce, but you can take your whole family to this. You can you can take kids who from like I guess ten or eleven up, um, you know, uh, older people uh, who may be a little conservative uh, in their taste. If you know any old people who are conservative in their taste, um, <laughs> you can take all of these people there and have just a laugh out loud funny time. I am not the kind of person who laughs out loud um, in the theater. And I sometimes feel badly about that because people are on stage trying to make you laugh. I tend to smile. I laughed. I just laughed out loud at this show. I had a great time. You mentioned Laura Bell Bundy, Eric McCormack, and Alex Moffat. I will go through the rest of the cast. It includes Lily Cooper, Nahal Joshi, and Dana Steingold. So um, a really, really who's who heavy hitters of Broadway talent in that show. Um, Michael, what did you think of The Cottage? Uh, I think you left one. Did you leave out one person, Tony Roach? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he is not listed. I don't know if that's a spoiler. He is not listed on uh, the Internet Broadway database as being in the cast. He is being he is listed as an understudy. So that might be a surprise. It is sort of a. a OK. Well, yeah. But, but we haven't said in what way it's a spoiler. Okay. So, that, I guess. so it, it's a spoiler to me because he's not listed in the official cast list. So um, so that's good to know. OK, great. Wonderful. So, um, but Michael, what did you think of the uh, uh, of the cottage? Um, I agree with Basically everything that Jan said, I uh, especially Eric McCormick, I, I enjoyed him. 
on Will and Grace, but I, I suppose it's fair to say that he was, um, first of all, more of a, of a straight man, <laughs> pardon yes. the expression, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, on that show, you know, compared to people like uh, uh, Sean Hayes and, and, and Megan Mullally, uh, right. you know. Um, but here, uh, he really, I thought he got down the style perfectly mm. in this spoof of a, of the kind of a, of a British sex farce comedy uh, that you would see, uh, you know, the, 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 it, we're told that the setting and the time is the countryside village of a Morton in Marsh, England, 1923. And many people have said um, that this play uh, that's presented to us is, it almost gives you the impression of the play that they're putting on in Noises Off. Yeah. Uh, and even to the point uh, where the set is somewhat similar. <laughs> uh, so I think that's kind of funny. And maybe that was intentional. Um, I agree with Jan about the props. I especially love the dog, Jan. The dog is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, is I, good. and I won't say any more about that. But uh, that dog gave me a few laughs. Um, uh, and the lamp is good, too. The lamp is good, too. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I... Um, I thought the the show was almost entirely successful. I thought um, there were a few jokes that did not land. And in a play like this, you really almost need every one of them to to land. there were there were a couple of sections where it got a little dry as far as the laughter. Um, but since there are so many jokes and funny moments in it that that there's still, probably like 200 laughs in it. Um, so you won't feel cheated in that respect. Um, I also felt that I, I loved Laura Bell Bundy, uh, but I thought that maybe she was a bit too broad in her performance. And also um, the way that affected me was that I, I I didn't get all of her lines because I felt she was screaming a lot. Um, and then conversely, um, I... I thought that Lily Cooper's performance was a, a little underpowered, aside from the fact that mm -hmm. her British accent did not seem completely convincing and consistent to me. I, I actually thought her Cockney accent in Oliver uh, was more successful and convincing than this upper class Brit accent, accent that she was doing. Um, and on the one hand, I, I, uh, I, I think it was a good decision that that she was a lot more her character was a lot more self-contained and not as frantic as the rest of them. Uh, by the way, her character is supposed to be heavily pregnant um, for, for mm -hmm. whatever that's worth. Um, so I think that was a good decision, but I, I thought it was maybe a little too much in in that direction. And uh and for example, yeah, and I would say that she seemed almost as if she was in a slightly different play mm -hmm. um, than the rest of them. So uh, I, I guess that I would maybe say that Jason Alexander could have done a bit uh, of a better job in smoothing that over and making the whole thing seem more stylistically consistent. Um, so those were my negatives, but... Uh, the audience really seemed to adore it, uh, as did I. Uh, most of it, uh, the the person I, the the friend that I went with, laughed constantly, uh, and absolutely adored it. Um, I, I think it's a very good time, and uh, and I always think that um, 
I'm not the first person to say that we don't have enough comedy on Broadway, um, enough straight uh, non-musical comedy. So uh, I, I applaud it for that reason. Uh, have we mentioned the author's name? <laughs> uh, I mentioned Sandy... it at the top, yeah. Sandy oh, you Rustin. did? Okay. Yeah. Sandy Rustin, yeah, who I'm, I'm not familiar with, but um, hope to, to, to hear more uh, from Sandy Rustin. So yeah, I, I think that um, given the... Uh, the star power, plus the fact that it is a very, very funny piece. Um, I, I think that I hope it will have a decent run and that many people will get to enjoy it. I, I also noted, Jan, uh, I only read two reviews, but they were polar opposites. <laughs> polar opposites. Um, the Times was quite negative. Uh, so, um, you may have that response. Uh, it, it's not for everyone because this type of comedy is not for everyone. Uh, but if it is up your alley, I, I think you will very much enjoy this. And Alex Moffat is sheer brilliance, sheer brilliance. I did not know him. I am not familiar with him from his work on Saturday Night Live. Uh, absolute sheer comic genius. That's that's high praise for anybody making their Broadway debut. So uh, that's very exciting. And hopefully we'll see him in in more comedies on Broadway in the future. And I love the fact that we started the show with two double thumbs up ra uh, ra rave reviews from both of you. We're going to go off Broadway next here, Jan, with a show that I have heard just phenomenal things about. And it is Flex currently playing off Broadway at Lincoln Center. It is a play by Candace Jones and directed by Liliana Blaine Cruz. It is about a girls high school basketball team in the late 1990s. I have to admit, I went to a high school where the best sports team that we had was the girls basketball team. I was in high school at this exact same time. So um, this one is very interesting to me uh, for a lot of personal reasons, but also love the Venn diagram over overlaps of theater and sports. So what did you think of Flex, which is currently playing uh, at the Mitzi Newhouse Theater? Uh, I thought it was totally entertaining. Um, and also maybe the, uh, uh, that sounds um, a little equivocal because it's also really thought provoking. Uh, this is uh, an all black uh, basketball team um, uh, in the South in uh uh, 1988, I believe, or maybe 98. 98. Uh, 98. 98. Um, and uh, for the girls on this team, the starting team, you, you know, like any sort of sports themed show, um, they're going for the championship. That's the narrative arc. And on this team, uh, we've got the five starting seniors. So, of course, this is their big chance, last chance to make it. And uh, there's a rule on the team that the, the team itself decided that they were really going to focus on playing. There was going to be, most importantly, no sex. They were not going to involve themselves with with any distractions, including romantic relationships, so that they could focus on winning the, the state championship. But um, not everybody abided by this. And one of the 
girls uh, becomes pregnant. And the coach has said, if a girl becomes pregnant, she can't play. And so that's the way that the, the play begins with they're trying to convince the coach that this player should be able to play at least until she's showing or until the doctors say it's not um, uh, healthy for her to do so. The So we've got the championship, what to do with the pregnancy. Um, part of the thought-provoking part of the show is that the girl considers getting an abortion. There's the whole issue of access uh, to abortion. Uh, two of the other girls uh, on the team are secretly in love with one another, and they're having an affair. And this is a small rural community. They're in Arkansas. It's a small rural community in Arkansas where homosexuality is considered a sin and uh, in their community. And so they're trying to navigate their relationship. And one of the girls is very religious. Uh, she is actually a junior minister. And so they're trying to negotiate that. Then the other two girls uh, are both, they're rivals for the star player of the team. And not only uh, rivals for, for that position, but rivals to get the attention of uh, recruiters who are going around, college recruiters who are going around scouts to see which girls they should try to recruit for their college teams. And there's a rivalry between the two of them that turns into a, a, a slightly dangerous uh, direction. So you've got all of this drama, but uh, Candace Jones is a very funny writer. And so the interactions between the girls is the trash talking between the girls, the um, ways that they put down one another is really funny. The choreography, the basketball choreography is so impressive. It turns out that both Candace Jones and Liliana Blaine Cruz played basketball in high school. And there's a lot of shooting in this show and some of it really impressive. Um, it's, it's entertaining in the sense of, are they going to make, not just are they going to make the championship, but are they going to make that basket because they're <laughs> shooting? Are they going to are they going to make that basket? There's is she going to get uh, the abortion? Uh, are people how are people going to respond if they find out about the two girls who are in love? And these are teenagers; they're 17, 18 years old. What is the future going to be uh, for these girls? Um, I think it's um, intentionally set in 1998 because um, I'm not a sports person, but I gather this is when the uh, professional women's um, basketball mm -hmm. uh, league began. And so some of them have their eyes uh, on that. 
it was an interesting audience the night I went to see it. It's at the Mitzi Newhouse. Uh, a lot of young people in the audience, not used to seeing that, and not used to seeing um, groups of guys. I guess they heard it was a basketball show. And so just groups of guys coming in and <laughs> sitting there and, and watching uh, uh, the show. Um, so this is this is a, a successful production on many, many levels. It's it's successful because it's entertaining. Um, I thought the actresses were all terrific. Uh, it's successful because it's just a whole new subject and because uh, sports plays are difficult to put on the stage. It's successful in that. And it's successful in calling out to uh, different audiences who may not, you know, just traditionally go to uh, theater and particularly off-Broadway shows. Uh, so this is a winner for me. It's interesting. There's been two basketball themed off-Broadway shows here in the past few months between this and King James from, I think that was MTC. Mm -hmm. This one seems mm -hmm. like it has more basketball content than that mm -hmm. one did, which talked a little bit about basketball. This one actually has like, the, if I've seen pictures of the set, it's a mm -hmm. high school basketball gym. I do wonder, mm -hmm. Jan, just because as you mentioned, they are making and taking shots. Mm -hmm. Was there any, were, were there any times when you thought, <laughs> That was supposed to go in, but they missed and how they reacted to it and kind of cleaned that up. Was there anything you noticed or was it any time that may or may not have happened done fairly cleanly? Well, what I'm uh, what, what I've read is that the final shot is, as in all of these kinds of things, the important shot. Mm -hmm. And they have determined uh, alternate endings sort wow. of like sort of like Edwin Drood uh, <laughs> kind of thing. How um, interesting. You, we don't get to vote. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's the uh, the shot. And it's it I gather it's not drastically different, but there's a, you know just a difference depending on whether um, she gets it in or not. Um, the, the, the night I saw it, the character who's doing most of the shooting was on fire. She was not <laughs> missing shots. Um, so I had a different ending than perhaps, you know, um, other people may have. And there is a third basketball-related off-Broadway show opening next week. Oh, what is that one? I don't, I'm, uh, it might have slipped my mind. It's the half god of rainfall down oh, right, right. at New York, New York Theater, Theater Workshop. Workshop. Yeah, so I don't know basketball season in New York Theater. Hmm. You know, in our our box show, we did not do the song "She Likes Basketball." I'm yeah. thinking we should have put I'll it in. Yeah. <laughs> Next time in January. January is the middle of basketball season anyway. So uh, right, that, right. that would work a little bit better. Um, Good idea. Jen, we'll, we'll stick off Broadway with something else you saw. And I think this, I don't know if this was part of the Brits off Broadway series uh, or not that I know that 59 is 59th has been running, but it was a show that uh, won Best of French at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2022. This is a new, looks like country Western musical version of Pride and Prejudice called 
Prejudice and Pride. This is uh, a show that features a book by Sam Wright and Nicholas Collett, music and lyrics by Sam Wright and Collett directs. Um, what did you think of this one? And, and, and what's a little bit of the background on it? I'm a little surprised that it won uh, at the Fringe. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> this one seemed l- like a show put on by a group of friends. And some of the friends are more talented than other friends, but they're all friends. So they're putting it on together. Um, it was directed by a guy named Nicholas Collette. Um, these are all Americans. And the show actually started, um, I think, in Kansas. Kansas City, yeah. Yeah, started in Kansas. And uh, so they're all Americans. Uh, And Nicholas Collette directs uh, a guy named Sam Wright, co-wrote the book with Nicholas Collette, wrote all of the score, the music and the lyrics, did the set, stars in the show, and plays the banjo in the three-piece band. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, as I said, the you know, the talent is varied. It is the story of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Um, the reason the the title is switched is because it's gender flipped. Huh. Instead of Three, uh, I guess in Jane Austen, um, uh, five young daughters looking for husbands. Um, Here it's three uh, young, rural, working class guys looking for rich women to marry them. (laughs) You know, the parallel doesn't really quite work. (laughs) No, it doesn't quite. And um, because... You know, for a working class guy in sort of like Kentucky or or that area, that Appalachian area of the country, his solution is is not going to be finding a rich woman to marry him. It just it it, it doesn't work. That's the way it worked in Regency uh, England. You looked for a wealthy man to 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 marry you, and you would have his children, and so on. That that doesn't work. What was more problematic for me here um, is they tried to make connections to what's going on politically. And so one of the brothers becomes a MAGA Republican. And there is a scene that I thought, no, 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 no. Um, There is a scene that is a comic number about january 6th i think you've said exactly what everyone needs to know to understand exactly what this show is trying to do jan (laughs) it yeah there the audience um and i'll sum it up here the audience there were only about 50 people in the audience when i saw it and at intermission about 10 of them left Wow. wow 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 it was the first time um I think I've ever had where the curtain uh, call, uh, Sam Wright, the guy who did all of those things, um, hushed the audience and started off his curtain speech by saying, you know, making a musical is really hard. And I thought, no, again, no, Um, we know that. (laughs) And if, if you 
if you if you have to tell us this, then maybe you need to work on the musical some more. <laughs> if you're doing a curtain speech at all, maybe uh, after the show, maybe you need to work on the, the show <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So so a no for me, a big no for me on this one. I'm I'm really sorry to say. Uh, noted noted well let's go to something that i feel will have much better uh, feelings and vibes <laughs> around it and and michael this is a show you mentioned the fact that leroy reams was a part of your jerry orbach show but you also saw leroy's show at 54 below as well why don't you tell us a little bit about that absolute musical theater legends uh, latest concert Yes, I, our show was on Monday the 24th, and on Wednesday the 26th, uh, Leroy did, uh, well, I was going to say a solo show, but in the uh, company of his wonderful pianist, Alex Rybeck, uh, and it, it was billed as, the show was billed as uncensored, uh, and it very much was, a, it was uh, about Leroy's life story, really, uh, from almost the beginning, but with an emphasis on sex um, and romantic involvements through his romantic involvements through the decades, uh, and also stories of um, other people have told very ribald stories uh, that he's heard throughout his fabulous career. Um, the 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 one I well I probably can't repeat any of them but <laughs> but one a story that he actually had told us in the dressing room at uh, Jerry Orbach's Broadway he gave us a little preview was that he um worked with Juliet Prowse once and he I, I'm not sure what the context was but at one point uh he asked her uh, uh well I'll use it another term uh Juliet how big was Frank Sinatra's penis and uh, she responded, uh, not with a verbal description, but uh, in another way, <laughs> with something that indicated the answer to that question. Uh, and so the audience really, really liked that. <laughs> um, lots of stories. Uh, Leroy went into detail about um, how he had an affair, uh, you know, romantic sexual affair with Michael Bennett that really was instigated by Michael. So there was a lot of really really funny stories, a lot of stories that made people gasp and then laugh. <laughs> um, but there was also um, some very moving moments in the show. Uh, Leroy spoke about one uh, young dancer that he he had a really, really intense love affair with, and then they drifted apart, and then um, he kept in touch with that person, uh, you know, uh, somewhat in later years, but then the, the person died of AIDS. And Leroy certainly um, didn't shy away from discussion of AIDS because that was such a tragedy in, in the life of everyone who, uh, who you know, was, who was around in that era, and especially people in the theater. Um, and then he also uh, very movingly uh, memorialized his longtime, longtime partner, Bob, uh, whom he was with for 50 years, hmm. 50 years. And then he said four of them legal <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, you know, I guess it wasn't until towards the end that they were really allowed to marry. Um, and he sang, uh, I've grown accustomed to his face in tribute to Bob. And there, there, there was really, that, that was another 
moment where there was not a dry eye in the audience. Um, so, uh, oh, he and he also told a wonderful story about how Leroy had done La Cage Folle. Um, he was supposed to have gone into the Broadway production at the end of the run, but then the this show unfortunately closed very quickly. But Leroy got to do it elsewhere, and he said um, that he, uh, after one performance, um, he he got a letter from uh, two parents, and they said in the letter that. Uh, they said they thanked him for his performance. They said that two years prior, their son had come out to them as gay and they ceased all communication with him. Uh, but now after seeing Leroy's performance in Lacage, they had just called their son and they were going to get back together again. Hmm. And Leroy said that was better than any Tony Award uh, to get that letter. So, um, yeah. So it was a, a great um sometimes shocking hilarious show with also some really wonderful moving moments in it and everyone i know was in the audience every person in show business was <laughs> that makes audience. sense that makes sense for leroy Reed's because show. leroy yeah. has worked with most of them <laughs> yeah absolutely great well we have one more review that that uh, we want to talk about jan and this is one that i saved to last because uh i it did just get announced to have a i guess this is technically a return production or a return engagement because it had closed a very limited run in july it is now back for three weeks in august and this is the uncle vanya that's being done at a private loft and it is running just August 8th through August 25th. The cast includes Will Brill, Julia Chan, David Cromer as Vanya, Will Dagger, Marin Ireland, Anne McDonough, and Virginia Wing. There are a few more castings that will be announced in the July run of the show. The indomitable Bill Irwin was a part of the cast. I've been told he has to go teach clowning or miming in Maine during the month of August. So he will not be a part of the show. Um, but it is a translation by Paul Schmidt and is directed by Jack Serio. Um, I, I do want to note just for, you know, to, to put out any uh, any conflicts of interest. The show is the, the lead producer on the show is my good friend in Broadway radio regular uh, Oliver Henry Roth. So throwing that out there, I will be seeing it when I'm in town. And if everything goes according to plan, we'll be talking with uh, David Cromer and Julia Chan about it as well. So I'm excited about that. So, Jan, I assume that means you saw it in at the, during the July run of the show. I did. Um, they... First, I think now they're calling it the loft Vanya. Before that, they were calling it the intimate Vanya or the oh, hyper intimate hyper Vanya. Intimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because uh, there are only 40 seats per performance. And when I read that it was coming um, and saw the cast, I did a little bit of uh, uh, of research and found out exactly the date and time tickets were going on sale <laughs> and went online exactly then and hmm. bought two tickets, <laughs> um, which I'm glad I did because um, that was a workshop run, um, a workshop a production and the tickets were much less expensive uh, uh than they are uh uh now but um uh it is worth the 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 seeing um it's you're 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 seated in this 
loft and you're seated on two sides of the playing space and the actors uh, 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 go back and forth. They don't need to project too much because it is intimate. You are mm -hmm. there. There are some beautiful scene pictures. There are some um, particularly beautiful performances. And the one I will single out is Marin Ireland, who plays uh, Vanya's niece, Sonia, and who, I guess, no surprise to people who follow theater, she hits every single beat mm -hmm. and color of uh, that character. So I just feel real privileged to have seen it. Um, if you can get a seat to it, if you can afford a seat to it now, um, I think that there are also, and you may know this better than I, um, that there are uh, some, they save two seats per performance for lottery uh, uh, tickets that are very, very affordable. Um, so there's still a chance um, uh, to see this a very special production of Vanya. Yeah, they have $39 rush tickets available through Today Tix. I You're right, in a 40-seat theater, I don't know how many rush tickets are available, but you can check Today Tix for that. They also have tickets that are distributed through Broadway for All, which is a nonprofit organization that has like $2 tickets for people that meet certain um, you know, certain criteria are part of, you know, they give them out through certain organizations. So they are doing um, quite a bit of work mm -hmm. to get some people in. But as you said, when there's only 40 seats, there's only so much uh, possibility to do that. But I, that is one that I am very much looking forward to seeing when I'm in town uh, in, a, in about a week and a half, actually. So I, I guess I might as well mention while I'm while I'm here on the, the Mothership show here on Broadway mm -hmm. Radio, um, I'm going to be in town from August 8th through the 13th. I am seeing I still have one slot to fill. I'm still waiting to hear back on uh, a Wednesday matinee, but I am seeing. The Shark is Broken a couple days before its opening night. I'm seeing The Uncle Vanya. I'm going to see Back to the Future. I'm going to head uh, off Broadway and see Eisenhower, This Piece of Ground. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be standing and bopping along and dancing along at Here Lies Love. <laughs> and then I'm going to go to Eva Noblezada's <laughs> final performance of, of Town as well with a... Uh, one or two non-theatrical things mixed into my schedule as well. So very much looking forward to that trip before I come back in October for a Sondheim heavy, merrily, here we go, back-to-back -back days. Mm. Um, mm. And then and then I uh, I can get it for you wholesale, actually. So Tuesday will be merrily, uh, Wednesday will be here, here we are, and then Thursday will be I can get it for you wholesale when I'm in town in October. So looking forward to all of those things coming up the rest of this year. Um, but before we wrap up the show... Um, Michael, you went and did the, the Barbenheimer experience. I don't know if you did them back to back. Like I did, <laughs> I went from one to the other with like 15 minutes in between, Ooh. but, but more appropriate for this conversation, you saw something that I didn't see in, in, in either of those theaters. You saw the trailer for the movie adaptation of the color purple musical, which of course is an adaptation of the movie, which is an adaptation of the book. Um, I did. I went back and looked and I did see it when they released it. So I, I know I saw it, but I don't remember a ton about it. What were your what were your takeaways from seeing uh, the trailer up on the big screen, either before Barbie or Oppenheimer? The trailer looks very good. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, the, the, the movie stars Halle Bailey, who just made a splash in The Little Mermaid live action no, remake. No pun intended, making a splash. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That was completely <laughs> unintentional. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it looks really good. It's got a great cast. Uh, it was uh, for the, for most of the trailer, it was another example of a trailer for a musical that gives no uh, indication that the movie is a musical. But um, it did end with um, a, a snippet of a very powerful musical number. So I have um, I have high hopes for it. I really love uh, the show. I've come to love the musical. Uh, when I first saw it on Broadway in the original Broadway production, I, I thought that it was, um, I, I didn't respond to it very much, but I think it was just because it was very overproduced. Um, the Broadway revival uh, was far more successful, in my opinion. And I've seen productions of it elsewhere since then, including uh, not that long ago down in DC. Um, so I, I do think. Um, that it's not perfect, but it's overall a very, very excellent musical adaptation of that property. And I think um, it would make an excellent, wonderful movie if it's well done. Uh, so um, I'm really looking forward to that. Another interesting uh, just little uh, sideline is um, uh, for those who've seen Barbie know that Rhea Perlman has a uh, very mm -hmm. pivotal role in it. And uh, and of course, uh, she is now on stage in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, at Lincoln in, Center. Yes, in Lincoln yeah. Center. Uh, yeah. So uh, in a play called Let's Call Her Patty, also with Leslie Rodriguez-Kritzer and Ariel Goldman. And yeah, that's... I'm, I'm seeing it on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that'll be fun for people to... Um, yeah. Because Barbie is such a big hit you know yeah. uh that'll be fun for people to see her on on stage after having seen her in barbie and it should be noted that her daughter lily devito is going to be coming to broadway with her father danny devito uh later this year in a show that i cannot think of the name of off the top of my head but <laughs> um uh it, lots of rhea perlman uh devito related things coming up i will mention uh, the Color Purple movie is currently scheduled to be released in theaters on Christmas Day. Of course, with all of the mm. strikes going on, um, Warner Brothers Pictures, Warner Brothers Discovery is certainly considering moving uh, release dates around, as we've seen from a number of, of studios already happen. And the cast is tremendous, it includes Fanta uh, Fantasia Barino, who played mm. uh, the role of Celia on Broadway, Taraji P. Henson, Danielle Brooks, who was in that revival you mentioned, Coleman Domingo, Corey Hawkins, her, Sierra, Anjanou Ellis, Louis Gossett Jr., Tony Winter, David Allen, Greer, um, Elizabeth Marvel, John Batiste, uh, just a really, really phenomenal cast mm. for that show. Oh, speaking of movies of interest, uh, I have just read that the Bernstein movie, mm -hmm. the Leonard Bernstein movie, Maestro, is going to have its debut at the Venice Film Festival. So a bunch mm -hmm. of us were wondering what was up with that movie, because I think they finished it quite a while ago. But, you know, yeah. post-production. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's uh, the one so. that is directed and starring Bradley Cooper as, yes. as Bernstein. So very yes. exciting. Um, one last little thing that uh, you kind of want to recommend, Michael, is you went to a recent, uh, I think they're on Monday nights, uh, over at Birdland, Jim Caruso's cast party, and you have a little video that you wanted to share. Yeah, I went with John Marco Schiaretti, who is one of the stars of Notre Dame de Paris, which recently uh, had a very successful run at the Coke Theater at Lincoln Center. Uh, he, th th They had performed the show last summer uh and it was uh got actually very negative reviews uh from the critics because it's not it's not 
anything remotely like a, an American musical or, or even a uh, British musical. Um, it's just a whole different sensibility and a lot of people didn't respond to it. But um, turns out lots of people in New York uh, know and love this show already. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, Italians and French people and Germans because it's played all over Europe and is a, and is still playing all over Europe. Uh, and is a huge hit. Um, so anyway, John Marco was one of the leads in that show. And I I thought he should come to Jim Caruso's cast party, which is a great open mic event every Monday night at 930 at Birdland, uh, because um, it's a it's a really good place to showcase yourself. Uh, you never know who's going to be in the audience. Um so he uh, he had a very limited repertoire as to what he could sing that that uh, American audiences might respond to. But sort of at the last minute, he decided to do This Is The Moment from Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, as this video shows uh, that we're including in the, sh in the show notes, he just really raised the roof with it and, and people really, really adored him. So uh, he was very happy that I had suggested he's at cast party and um i think he's going to do it again whenever he's here um but he spent so much time in in europe uh, they went from uh they went from new york to canada i think toronto uh or maybe it was montreal uh with Notre Dame de Paris. Uh, and then he's also been starring in a musical about Casanova all over Europe and he has also played Tarzan in German. All, uh, <laughs> that's quite the yeah. range yeah <laughs> so uh yeah so check check him out in this video and i think you'll uh you'll understand what all the fuss is about great um even though peter is not on the show this morning he did record the answer to last week's trivia question as well as a new question for this week so uh, unfortunately for those of you who are listening along live with us while we record i apologize you're gonna have to check back <laughs> once the episode is live <laughs> on our feeds to hear that but if you are listening in either Patreon or in the regular feed, I will now send it over uh, to Peter Felicia with his answer and new question for this week's trivia. What Sondheim work has a female character singing the first two lines of I Got Rhythm? Well, in The Last of Sheila, a film that qualifies as a Sondheim work because he co-wrote the screenplay, Christine, played by Diane Cannon, while trying to win a game that takes her to a spooky monastery, nervously sings, I got rhythm, I got music. Don't ask me why, but she does. Josh Israel was the first to get it, followed by Rob Johnson, Tony Janicki, and Brigadoon. Steve Bell, Paul Witte, Arthur Robinson, Juliet Green, and Porter Eldridge get honorable mention, for they pointed out that in Dick Tracy, Sondheim's song, More, has Madonna sing, I Had Rhythm, Music, Love, which is pretty close, too. And both Sean Logan and Deb Popple pointed out that if you really wanted to get technical, the first two lines of I Got Rhythm are actually found in the verse. And they're right. My mistake. This week's question... When the Adams Family opened in 2010, it announced that it was based on characters created by Charles Adams. This wasn't, however, the first time that one of his characters sang on Broadway. Granted, when that happened, the character was unnamed, but Mr. Adams' name was specifically mentioned as the creator of the character before she sang. What's the show and what's the song? All 
right, Michael, that will bring us into the end of the show here. But we did want to kind of go over the musical moments from this episode uh, and, and kind of talk about the impetus, the sad impetus for both of their selections this week. Yes. Well, actually, we have had three recent deaths. Yeah. Um uh, of note. Uh, one of them was Inga Swenson, who many people know from her work on TV and soap and Benson, but we, uh, people who love theater and musical theater specifically know her from the, well, even if we didn't see her in these shows, we know her from the cast albums of Baker street and one Ten in the shade. Uh, Baker street was a, was not a hit. Uh, it had quite a short run, but uh, One Ten in the Shade uh, did much better. And and Inga had a beautiful soprano voice um, that is displayed to advantage on on both of those cast albums. So if you if you're not familiar with her work on those, you really might want to give a listen. Go to YouTube or or Spotify or wherever you go to uh, find Broadway music like that. And she. She really was something. I wish that I had seen her, um, especially in One Ten in the Shade. People still talk about that performance, uh, but I, you know, I was a little bit too young then. Uh, the other two deaths are Carlin Glynn and Pamela Blair. And what's interesting there is that they were both in the best little whorehouse in Texas. Uh, Pamela Blair is so much more famous for a chorus line in which she played Val and sang Dance 10 Looks 3, uh, performed Dance 10 Looks 3, I should say. Um, uh, She's so much more famous for that that I I think uh, a lot of people didn't even make the connection that she was also in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which starred Carlin Glynn as Miss Mona uh, on Broadway. And, uh, And the interesting thing there is that... One of the songs in the show is uh, The Bus from Amarillo, which for some reason was not included in the film. I think it would have been a great song for Dolly Parton, but I think they had to make room when they made the film of Whorehouse. They felt they had to make room for some new songs written by Dolly. Um, And also uh, I Will Always Love You, which had been previously written by Dolly. Uh, So something had to go and, and The Bus from Amarillo was one of the songs that went, but uh, it was uh, ultimately sung by Carlin Glynn as Miss Mona in the original Broadway production of Horror House, but it was originally supposed to have been sung by the character played by Pamela Blair, who actually wound up doing very little in the show, especially vocally. And I think that was a sore point. So it's kind of ironic um, mm. that they both left us so close together. Uh, and um, in order to uh, memorialize all of that, our opener for this week is indeed Dance 10 Looks 3 from A Chorus Line. The story about that, which I always find so interesting, is that the song was originally titled Tits and Ass. Uh, but then uh, the powers that be realized that if that was listed in the playbill, in the song list, that it ruined the joke. Uh, so Dance 10 looks three. And and ever since they made that change, you know, it was 
just went over like gangbusters. Uh, so that's an interesting little theater story. Um, very, very well performed uh, with a lot of personality and pizzazz and a great voice by Pamela Blair. And the closer is The Bus from Amarillo as sung by Carlin Glynn on the original cast album of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Well, everybody, that is all that we have for you this week on This Week on Broadway. I want to thank Michael and Jan for allowing me to step into the very, very large shoes of James Marino while he is off maybe walking around in the very, very large shoes of Goofy. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's doing on Sunday instead. But I uh, always enjoy being a part of This Week on Broadway. I want to thank all of our listeners. Of course, if you want to be a part of the show and listen live while we record, you can head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash patreon. Patreon. The episode is then posted there as soon as we can get it out, and then it hits the regular feeds later in the afternoon or evening on Sunday. If you want to hear more from me, I am on uh, Today on Broadway, Monday through Friday, here in the same podcast feeds that you are listening now. So we will send you out with the bus from Amarillo. We hope that everyone has a wonderful week, and we will see you at the theater soon. Bye. Bye. To go where anything was possible for me we were driving on through cisco on our way around to baird got a sudden funny feeling and i knew that i was scared i was shaking like a leaf as we were coming round the curve had the suitcase had the ticket but i didn't have the nerve Yes, the bus from Amarillo had me so damn terrified That I got off at the next stop and I never took that ride Didn't want that one-way ticket to nowhere Didn't want the traveling was possible for me well it's hard now to determine how a plan just disappears how the days can turn to weeks and how the weeks can turn to years and it's funny how you wait for things and want that lucky day and it's funny when the bus stopped I got off and walked away And now I swear I don't know why Guess what's a one-way ticket to nowhere God wish I was traveling free Once I had a one-way ticket to go where Anything was possible for me Anything was possible for me.